one of my early years teaching, I had this fantastic group of like 90% boys, 10th grade. Well. <laughs> they were so fabulous and I loved them so much, but they could not sit still to save their lives. And we got to certain points, including the final for the first semester in U.S. history, where I really challenged myself to think, what am I really trying to do here? What am I really trying to learn from my students? And what I had discovered was that this group on the whole, they expressed themselves physically. They could inhabit the role of a person in history far better than they could write a five-paragraph essay. So when I thought about what is it that I want to know, like I, I want to know, do they do they understand the 1920s? Do they know some of the key like factors and trends and people and, and what's going on? My parents had a murder mystery game that was set in the 1920s. <laughs> I took my parents' murder mystery game. I added to it layers of U.S. history of actual people from the time. Yeah. And, and I gave the charge to my students. They had to dress in 1920s. Oh they had gosh. to use the language of the 1920s. They had to talk about their gam, not their leg, and you know these other things. <laughs> and they had to solve the murder mystery in character of the 1920s. It allowed these students who learned by doing and who expressed knowledge by inhabiting to be successful when they would not have been successful with a written exam. And I think there is a correlative to work right? when we think about how are we setting up our team, our employees to be successful given who they are, how they learn, and what we really want out of them. Do we really want them sitting in that cubicle staring at a screen when where they get ideas is when they go out for a walk and come back and can bounce ideas around with other people or write on the whiteboard or draw on the walls or whatever it is. If, if what we're looking for can be created in a way other than what is traditionally a work environment, why not give them the space and the tools and the permission to show up in a way that will bring us that level of innovation and expression and connection. Welcome to a special edition of the Lead with a Dash of Play podcast. I'm your host, Mary Hendra, and in this bonus episode, I'm being interviewed by Sean Dagony-Clark and Joe Burgess, for their podcast, Ways We Learn. This was recorded back in April, when I was wrapping up season two of my own podcast and reflecting on some of the consultant work I'd been doing. I had fun thinking about and sharing my own experiences and thoughts on play in professional settings, including the experience of teaching with a playful mindset in the story you just heard. If you head over to their podcast and listen to the whole discussion, you'll hear the origin story of this podcast, highlights from past guests, and that it turns out I can talk pretty fast when I'm sharing something I'm excited about. I hope you enjoy this excerpt of the conversation. When you think about play in your leadership or your training, what yeah. does it look like in practice? What do you what do you think about when you think about play? Yeah, I think about mindset. So I think about a playful mindset being one that 
is willing to put out ideas and to build on somebody else's ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, that a playful mindset is willing to be wrong because they're excited to learn something new. Right? A playful mindset is willing to change their mind. Right? And and that comes with taking in new information or with trying something that doesn't work. Um, a playful mindset is willing to entertain doubt, to be curious, to ask questions. Mm-hmm. And that can be uh, in multiple settings. One of the other things that we do as a disservice from when we're young is we tend to, to put a value and priority on verbal thinking. But my experience is that thoughts are not always in words. Right? And, and if you've ever studied a foreign language or even you know think back to when you were a kid, right? So, sometimes we can be thinking about something for a long time before we know how to express it in words. So playfulness is sometimes letting ourselves learn about ourselves and even like get to know our own thinking because of doing things or, or creating something uh, in a different way. What is a, use a term that I hadn't heard, verbal thinking. Mm-hmm. Mm. How do you define that? Uh, the, the idea that we think in words. Uh, so they think out loud, like that kind of thing, like, oh, and like that, that way? Yeah. Or, the, or is it... I guess it's a spoken word. I guess it is. It's verbal. Uh, it's actually, it can even be internal, but that our thinking comes out in words already. Got it. Um, but I think a lot of the research shows that the process of thinking is not automatically words. We're attaching words to it. We learn the words. We learn the vocabulary that becomes part of our learning. We learn yeah. how to express it in essays and books and all of that. Yeah. Or in speaking, in presentations and and lectures in podcasts, but our thinking actually, uh, you know, it can also be spatial color. Um, Different ways that we move in the world can, can help us think just like if you've ever been working on a problem that you're like, just trying to figure out, you're like, let me take a walk and you Mm -hmm. take a walk and, and it comes to you, right? All of that walk you were thinking, it just wasn't yet in words. Yeah, I saw. It makes me think of a meme that I saw. I think on Reddit, which is where I get all of my best information from, and it was something along the lines of half the world would have their mind blown. I'm butchering this, but half the world would have their mind blown by the idea that the other half of the world thinks in actual sentences and mm-hmm. vice versa. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, this is not actually where I get all of my best information, but it really did blow my mind because I'm not the kind of person who thinks in full sentences. I kind of process like you described. And then even right now, as I'm saying things, I'm not planning the sentence before I say them, but some people actually do. And it blew my mind to think about that and to go, wait a second, not everybody does think the way that I do. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So it's, it's just, the the way that you're you're describing that the verbal thinking instantly made me think about that idea that some people yeah. really do think in sentences. My wife thinks in sentences. I do not. We both manage yeah. to think somehow, but it's very different. There's a great book that recently came out uh, called Visual Thinking mm-hmm. that is uh, Temple Grandin. Mm-hmm. That's how you pronounce her name. Uh, and again, like the when we don't. We don't know that somebody else thinks differently than us, right? We, mm-hmm. you know, how would we know, right? Because we're only in our own head. But this idea that 
that we think in words or that we might think in visuals, we might think in color. My dad was a nuclear physicist. I think he thought in equations, right? And that's what would come out, like these puzzles, these equations. Uh, You know, words were, he he was great in words. He could absolutely talk, but he, uh, you know, he also expressed brilliantly in calculus equations. Hmm. Not something that I would express so brilliantly. I can I I think I can express in like algebraic equations, but I don't know if I can get all the way up to calculus. <laughs> right? Like I can do yeah. y like you know y equals mx plus b kind of thoughts, mm-hmm. but I don't know if I can like do the quadratic formula um, in my brain. Well, and I think I think of spatial thinking, which my, which my dad when I was little was like you're great at spatial thinking. I didn't really know what that meant until my husband and I were taking these trips regularly between California and Colorado and sometimes had a lot to put into the trunk or the back mm. of the car. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I know where Tetris. you're going with this because I do the same thing. So, you know, I can't explain <laughs> it, right? yeah. but when we have a lot of stuff, he just gets out of the way and lets me pack <laughs> the car because right. I, I, I can't, I can't tell him or explain what needs to go where or why. I just know that this is going to fit there and yeah. this is how it will all fit together. So that's a, a spatial thinking. Yeah. Which yeah. also is a, um, you know, it's an interesting thought of we shouldn't, you don't, not all types of thinking and work has to be collaborative. I think we yes. always want everything to be collaborative. And of course, collaboration is, I mean, I think collaboration is fun. But um, in that case, and I know I have the same thing when I had to pack our trunk, leave me the heck alone. I have a vision. <laughs> and yes. like literally. And I want to get it done. And when you, and I don't want to explain it to you. I like, just leave me alone. Yeah. <laughs> and it's an interesting case of, I think a lot of times you want, especially with, in play, can be very collaborative of yeah. playing with others, and you know, very rarely are you playing alone. Um, and uh, it is an interesting idea that it's a nice kind of um, yeah, it's all right to play with your play alone and play um, even if you know others can't see it's working. Right. If you think about how we use the word play, we even talk about playing with an idea. Mm-hmm. playing with a concept let me play with this for a little mm-hmm. bit right? and and i think those might be examples of the non-collaborative play mm-hmm. that you're talking about where it it truly is still that playful mindset but it's it's an individual working through a problem yeah yeah and i think it's really helpful to to define it this way because i think that for someone who just thinks about play as part of work they're thinking about i don't know monopoly or scrabble or something like that <laughs> or jump rope and and your point is very much different from that it's it's a cr- sort of having a playful mindset it's having yeah. a, a playful approach a problem solving approach an open approach yeah do you find people struggle with the unstructuredness of play like I, especially in a very corporate environment a lot of times people thrive in those environments they love the structure that uh-huh. a corporation can provide. And then when I think of play, yeah. I mean, I guess maybe like sports is pretty structured, but I think of play, yeah. it's fairly unstructured. Uh, I'm, I'm curious if you encountered that at all. I, I think the best play actually has a lot of invisible structure. Okay. So the participant experiences it probably as, as freeing or as an alternate set of rules hmm. from what they're used to having. Right. 
Um, but there's so much thought and intention into creating that space um, that there that's what actually helps it flow. And in virtual settings, I think it's even more pronounced that we need to set that up in advance and really think it through. Really great facilitators sometimes, like if it's in person, they can on the fly like improvise with what's going to meet, you know, that particular need or that group. But, um, but when you're really setting up a space where, where play is part of the learning or the connection, or like there is a purpose for it. Um, there, there is a lot of thought that goes behind the scenes for how do we build that? So, uh, you know, starting with, uh, an easier entry for people building into greater vulnerability or greater risk taking, right? That is intentional and very deliberate in order to get to that point where people really let go of other assumptions and can learn something new. Makes sense. Invisible structures. Yeah. A hard thing to, a hard thing for me to kind of wrap my head around, but I, I yeah. get, I mean, I, I get it. <laughs> it's it's kind of like when somebody is so phenomenally skilled, whether they're an athlete or a musician or uh -huh. something, that it looks effortless. Mm -hmm. uh, but you yeah. know they had spent so many uh, hours of practice in it, right, before mm -hmm. they got to that point. It's kind of like that. It's the it. the, the facilitation becomes invisible mm -hmm. because the person who's doing it is so skilled that they've made it invisible to you. Right. That makes more sense. Yeah, and it's making me think we when to me earlier we were talking about design thinking and iteration and i just it's making me think of that that there's a framework right for design thinking mm -hmm. process but it's the whole purpose is that you're you're trying to come up with a creative solution that meets the needs of whoever the you know the mm -hmm. the stakeholder is and within that it's very unstructured you're trying to figure out what's the right way to go at this but yeah. the play in that sort of experience is not going to be you know playing an improv game it's going to be well let's try this idea does this idea work no okay yeah. cool so what did we learn from that let's try this idea does that idea work and yeah. that's it's sort of a different way i guess of thinking about play that i, I think many people would have hearing you know the name of your podcast or yes. what we've been talking about that it's not theater games necessarily. It's not jokes. It's serious work, but it's serious work done creatively and flexibly. Yes. And yeah, yeah. And it's a nice way to think about it. Yeah. And if, if we think about what makes work successful, right, it is that it's, that it's innovative, that um, there is compassion or empathy with other people or in the sales mindset that you understand your client or your customer, right? So those things are, are necessary and I'd say at the executive level, it's that you're willing to take some risks, right? Mm -hmm. Those are also part of, of a playful mindset mm -hmm. that are really important to bring into professional spaces. Mm -hmm. And dad jokes, of course, are welcome, I assume. Always. Okay. Good. <laughs> Should have started with that. So <laughs> let's, let's move over to your consultancy because you're doing some similar things over there. So yeah. your consultancy is called Move With Grace. And again, we'll put a link in the episode notes to that. But in there, you're helping people through transitions. And these are businesses right. or individuals. And you describe it as being built on the pillars of stillness, creativity, community, and a dash of play. And so can you describe some of the kinds of transitions that you're helping people through? And then actually, how did you help them? 
Sure. On the individual level, it is often either a very significant professional pivot. Maybe they're an entrepreneur pivoting their business or maybe an individual deciding on a career path. Um, there are times where it is usually often blended with a personal uh, a personal transition, either uh, the loss of somebody important to them hmm. or of uh, you know something that is happening within their family, their children, right that they're that they're like trying to work through something that feels really ambiguous and unclear. And so they're they're looking for how do I how do I manage this kind of a path? And with teams, it's often when they are either a newly forming team or a team that is being depended on to make significant progress in a challenging area. Currently, there are a few where it's DEI teams mm -hmm. that like they have so much they're trying to do and they really want to have that impact and they need to bring people along who really are different and have different perspectives. And how do they find their way through in something that is constantly changing because current events happen, your, your whole workshop, your plan for the day, the most important things are, are being affected by that and by the emotional space of your people. Mm -hmm. So, so tough. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And so the that's where the stillness in the community and those things come in for someone who's dealing with a difficult transition. Right. Uh, and then I imagine the dash of play is going to be something that's going to help them problem solve or sort of find their way yeah. through. Yeah, because I, I find that so often in those spaces, what we what we need to do is have a better sense of ourself that we're bringing into the situation because when it's when something is really ambiguous the most important thing is how are we going to navigate it mm -hmm. there is not a playbook right mm -hmm. you know dei social justice issues climate change um loss grief you know these are things where we have to find the the space that we can inhabit in it and and nobody can really tell us like, this is what you do, and you'll get this result, right? Mm -hmm. Because people are involved, and we're involved, and we need to make it our own. Mm -hmm. So in those cases, what I'm doing is working with people to make sure that they can find that sense of stillness in themselves, which will allow them to show up as their best self. Mm -hmm. Joy, play, like, these are things that help us reclaim our own identity and our individual perspective into it and to let go some of what can feel like the weight mm. doesn't let go of the seriousness of the issues that we're working on. But if we can lift some of that weight off, we can think more clearly. Mm. And then the other element is a bit of what we talked about earlier of, of recognizing that we don't always think in words. How do we bring more space to think into our lives so that eventually the words can come. Hmm. Yeah, I'm hearing a lot of empathy and listening and sort of individual approach in, in what you're doing. Yeah. I know that one of the things that you're focused on is creating or either creating yourself or helping other people create learning environments. And so yes. can you talk about first, just what does that mean, a learning environment? Mm -hmm. And because I have some ideas of what it might be, but I'm not sure if I'm thinking about it the same way that you are. And then how do you actually go about creating that? Yeah. 
for me, a learning environment is characterized by first off recognizing that it's a space where we want to be open to change and that we, um, that the people in that space will have the space to move sometimes physically, but often like theoretically and, and, you know, mentally, right. That so often in our society today, we don't actually give people space to move, to change their positions, to change their thinking, to adopt more ideas. We, we want to have a debate with somebody or we want to know straight out, what do they think? But my goodness, like we are as humans, we are constantly, if we let ourselves learning, right. We, we can constantly be taking in new information. We can grow. The person I am today is not the same as the person I was a year ago, 10 years ago, 50 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. So how do I make sure that other people also have this space to grow and learn? Like that's a learning environment. Mm-hmm. Um, how do I make sure that I'm, I have the space where we can hear each other in a world where often we don't? really want to listen to each other, right? That's a learning environment. There is also an internal growth, uh, that space of self-reflection to recognize our own growth. That can be part of a, a learning environment too, is the space for an individual, as well as the space to learn in community. And that's the end of season two. As you may know, if you follow me on LinkedIn, there have been some shifts in my professional life, which is why it took a little longer to get this episode out. But there are many more conversations to be had, and I'm looking forward to continuing to explore the intersection of play, work, and leadership. This summer, there will be a few episodes I'll call Summer School, special highlights on ways to play, And I'll be back with season three this fall. In the meantime, thank you to my friend Reza Zaidi and his colleague Joanna Stevens for the beautiful music you hear in every episode of this podcast. And thank you for listening to Lead with a Dash of Play.